Good evening, everybody. It's uh, so nice to see everybody. So many people turn up. And uh, before I start, actually, I have to apologize to. I know that uh, the meeting calendar shows that Brother Renth is speaking today evening, and I'm sure a lot of you turned up to hear. <laughs> so my apologies. Uh, apologies. Uh, uh, and also, it's wonderful to see Brother Ron. Uh, actually, today I was thinking, you know, I haven't seen Brother Ron for such a long time, and it's wonderful to see you and other faces. I know uh, there are a few people from Tampa and uh, from Boca, so welcome. <clears throat> for today's evening's meditation, uh, I want to turn to a very familiar passage. Most of us must have heard countless messages on it. <clears throat> But I came to this passage after praying about it and what see what I should uh, be speaking from, and the Lord led me to this passage. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, <clears throat> my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto, take unto you you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day having all having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation for the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints let's take a moment to commit the word of God uh, this passage uh, Father we uh, Come at this uh, time to you once again. We just uh, pray that the Lord would, through your Holy Spirit, open this passage to us, understand, to help us understand this passage, what you have in for us. Father, we pray that uh, for each and every person who is here, we pray that uh, the Lord would uh, divide the word in such a manner that it meets the need of every person. You know every person's situation, Father, where they are, and what is their need and uh, Father, your ultimate goal is to transform us into the image of Christ. Be victorious, to live a life victorious and bringing glory unto you. We pray that uh, this time will be used for that very purpose, Father. All these things we commit to you in Christ Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. <coughs> the other day, I heard someone say, I feel like we are in a war zone. You know, in response to the difficulties and uh, 
problems that person was personally having and, uh, and the torrents of spiritual grenades thrown their way. And I was thinking about that expression that we are in a war zone. I was thinking, and how appropriate a phrase to use, especially considering this passage and I was meditating, that we are in a war zone. Yes, Christian life is blessed assurance and oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It's true, as we so often sing. But the reality, that is one aspect of the Christian life. But the reality, and, and you, every person who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ would can testify to this too, right? But the reality is that we are also in a war zone with all the threats, with all the dangers, with all the... Uh, uh, with all the scars and wounds that one would experience in such a battlefield. You know, you would ask why? Why, why so? And, uh, you know, the first thing we can think about is, you know, the reason being, um, and this pass- as this passage would also testify, is because we have inherited an enemy. The moment a person has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior, as they have come into the family of God, we have inherited an enemy. The enemy who's, um, the enemy of, uh, you know, Satan who is uh, God's enemy. But when, once we have been welcomed to the family of God, we have, uh, for that same reason, inherited that enemy, uh, that enmity with Satan, and not just Satan, but as we would see, uh, with all the other fallen angels, all the all the other principalities and powers that uh, would decide to follow him in that open rebellion uh, before the beginning of time, or uh, before the beginning of uh, life, I mean uh, creation itself, I would say. And here's the thing that makes the situation grimmer. Not only that we are in a war, so, war zone, constantly uh, threatened by enemy's forces, but the enemy is the worst you can imagine. Wicked to the core, relentless, cunning, mighty, and does not play fair. You can't imagine a worse enemy. And you have made enemies with Satan, and all the principalities and powers that chose to align with them. You can't imagine a worse enemy. Relentless, wicked, bent on destroying you and nothing else. Cunning and mighty and does not play fair. Now you might ask, how is that good news? One might ask, well, the good news is that the war is won. On the cross, as we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15, don't want to turn it, but I just quickly read it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. So that is the good news. The war is won already. The war is won on the cross. 
The Lord Jesus Christ won that war for us for once and for all, disarming, disarming the principalities and powers. And all their claims, all the claims of Satan against us, the accuser of the brethren, as he's called, is disarmed. He's disarmed uh, the, the legions of hell from the very power they had over us. But that's the good news. So although the war is won, as you know, in a, in a war, there are many battles, uh, especially in a, in a, a big war, um, there's an, you know, like something like a World War, world war II. Uh, those who are familiar with the history, there's, there's the entire war, and we know that you know, the, allies, uh, the, allies, uh, the, uh, the allied forces won. If allies are allied. Okay, you know, you get it. Uh, won. But, <laughs> but in between, there are so many countless battles. And we know that the Axis forces won a lot of those battles. But the, ultimately, the war was won. But there's a lot of battles. And that's where we are right now. Although the war is won, God has not taken us out of the battles. And we still are uh, in that war zone battling the enemy. <clears throat> so if it is true that the battle rages on, then we can see this passage as a survival guide's manual. That's how I, I mean, you know, as I see this passage, a survival guide, guide manual prescribed by God's Holy Spirit to prevail in this battle for all of us who are believers and who have to live through this uh, inner Christian. There's no exception. If you're a Christian, if you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have family, I'm telling you, there is no exception. You have to go through the battle. You have to. God has not spared any person, I would say, from the battle. And it could be various. Some people might, the intensity of the battle they face against the spiritual forces may be more than the others. But there's no exception. If you are a true, and that itself could be a sign to test and see whether you truly belong in the family of God. Because you will go through the battle. At some form, sometimes maybe in your life at this moment, probably you're not. But at some point, you will. And God has given his word, prepared us, uh, providing us the survival guide, how to survive the, when you face that enemy. And the thing is, in a battle, you can't put on your armor and all this stuff in the middle of the battlefield. Right? That is why the word of God is given ahead of time so that we'll be prepared. And the, and the phrase used, put on your armor, meaning it is something you have to put on ahead of time, so be prepared. And you can't fight a battle. You can't fight a battle without the, the armor of God, and you can't put it on in the battlefield. And as you would expect a survival guide to prescribe, we have, we have been provided here insight concerning the nature of the enemy, his tactics, weapons of choice, and the way to defend and also put the enemy in defense. So if you were in the battlefield, right, if you were in the U.S. Army, and if you were to go out to the battle, I've, I've never been in such a situation, but I'm, I've heard and also I'm sure this is the, uh, or somewhat like the drill, they, they would brief uh, the people who are being prepared on the nature of the enemy, right? I mean, you, you don't fight the guerrilla forces like you would fight a mighty army. So every enemy is different, and in order to fight effectively, you need to know the nature of the enemy, the nature of the enemy, the tactics they use, the weapons they use, and what specific armor you need to put on. And that's what you have here in this passage. Description of the nature of the enemy, 
the weapons he uses, and how to survive, and not just to survive, but we survive victoriously and to inflict uh, casualty even on the enemy, I would say. But before we get into this passage, I just want to consider one more question you know, that someone would have. <clears throat> one would ask, why God has chosen to leave us in this battlefield if he has already taken out the sting of sin, he has forgiven us, there is therefore no condemnation. He has brought us, he has brought us into this family of God, he has defeated Satan. Um, why he has left us in the battlefield? Why God has chosen, God, God could have chosen to take us away from the battlefield and all the scars and all the injuries and all the, uh, and even occasional defeats we face in this battlefield and the setbacks into the Christian life. All of us can testify. At some point of life, we have been beaten by the enemy when we are off God. Why God chose to do so? Why God chose to, chose, chose to, chose to, uh, choose to, uh, uh, as to go through that. And there are multiple reasons, but specifically I think one of the reasons why God has allowed us to be in this battlefield, specifically face the enemy, Satan and his adversaries, is we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. <coughs> you know, there was that battle there where Satan, the, one of the, the first battles in, in, in this realm, where Satan lured man to disobey God and defy his authority over him. You know, but in this disobedience, you know, the defiance did not take place in secret, in the absence of an audience. Yes, only Adam and Eve was there in that garden, in the earth, but that defines that disobedience did not take place in the absence of an audience. There was principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, they are witnesses to this defiance of God's created beings against this sovereign, this most powerful God. They witnessed this. And it was Satan's plan all along to deface the authority of God in the presence of the angelic host by insinuating an open rebellion act by his own creation. That was the purpose. You know, Satan did not gain, I mean, he did not have a specific advantage by, you know, I mean, by getting man to disobey God in itself. But here, his, his primary reason was to show forth to the principalities and powers that he could get God's own creation to openly rebel against him. But of course, God was not taken by surprise by all this. He had already made a provision for man's failure. So the promised seed would crush the head of serpent and make a way of forgiveness and redemption through that victorious defeat of Satan and his plans to enslave man for all. He was not caught by surprise. He had already made a plan. But in addition to that, God would also make a plan to show forth to the principalities and powers that through the work of His Son and through the power of His Holy Spirit, He would create a new creature, creation, that is us, who would come to know Him 
who, unlike Adam, would not be deceived into defiance of God's authority, but stand and be strong for the Lord, winning where Adam had lost, and thus bringing glory to God and declaring the righteousness of his rule over us. That's another purpose God has left us in this battlefield. So that we can show forth to the principalities and powers that God indeed has authority over us and He's created a, a, a new creation who will not defy His authority for the glory of God. So remember, every time you face a battle and you stand for the Lord, as it says, you stand and be strong for the Lord and do not get, you're not defeated, you not fall away. You are bringing glory to God in the presence of His angels. It's an amazing thought, right? That God would choose us to bring glory to Him in the, in the assembly of His holy ones. That is why God has left us in this battlefield to show to Satan, to the, show to the principalities, to show to the holy angels also that He would create, that, that, that we would not fall like Adam fell. So, having said, with that background in mind, let's consider very quickly a first aspect, the nature of the enemy. I, I don't want to get too much into this. I'll go through very quickly. We have only 15 more minutes. First of all, as this, as this passage says, uh, I mean, and just to give a background, and all of us must be familiar with this, uh, this principalities and powers refer to that one-third of uh, those uh, angelic beings uh, who chose to side with Satan in that open rebellion against God. Uh, and these angels would be a God, although God is sovereign and controls all the universe by his sovereign power, he chose, choose, cho- chooses to administer uh, the world through these principalities and powers, the, uh, the, the angelic beings, and they have been given territories to rule, authorities to rule. And when those creature, uh, creatures um, fell, uh, God did not take all of that authority from them, at least for now, because he has reserved a time when he would uh, judge them. But till that time, he has pro- he's allow- allowed them to have limited, although they have fallen, he's allowed them to have limited authority over them, principalities, and that's what he's referring to here. And they control, they, and they have authority they've been given, and God has allowed that. He can take it anytime he wants to, but he has chosen not to. So he has uh, chosen not to. So they control realms, powers, and that's what it. And in, and uh, just to give a description of uh, Satan, and I would I would say his legions would have the same characteristics, right? They're very subtle and very deceptive. Satan, and I, I can't recall exactly, but uh, the words, but it says it's been called is the father of lies. Subtle and deceptive. And you will see that passage where Satan deceived um, Eve and Adam in the garden. Very subtle and very deceptive. That's one of the things we have to consider. They're mighty, mightier than any human strength. Satan is being called the prince of the power of the air. And that's what in this passage also says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against rulers of darkness of this world. Powerful creatures, very powerful, powerful than any human strength. 
Anything can we can muster. Very powerful creatures. And they've been allowed that power till they'll be chained one day and they'll be judged. But till that time, they are... <laughs> wow. Very generous. <laughs> Thank you. <sighs> and, oh, sorry, my, so they're mighty, of course. And then another, another aspect of uh, this enemy is that he's relentless. Satan is relentless. And uh, we can see that, you know, in the, we will probably go back in the past if we have time, but, you know, when uh, Satan tempted Lord Jesus Christ, and after the Lord, Lord uh, defeated Satan in that, uh, the three temptations, but that passage says, and he took leave till he found an opportune time. Satan doesn't give up. He's relentless. Just because you have won but battle doesn't mean that it's over. He will come back at you over and over. That's his nature. And the case of Job also, right? First he plagued Job. And then after Job's uh, victory over that aura, he did not curse God as he, he, Satan claimed. He came back. He came back. He will not give up. He's relentless. And they are masters of darkness and wickedness. It says uh, in Peter, First Peter, I think it says, he walks about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he might devour. So that's some of the aspects of the, the enemy that we, we, I'm sure you can think about so many other aspects also, but some of the fundamental aspects we need to be aware of when we face it. And again, we have to consider, understand again, the purpose is we are not going to defeat this enemy in our strength. Absolutely not. We are no match in ourselves. To confront this enemy. He's too powerful. He's too subtle. He's relentless. And he's wicked beyond your imagination. And they can also orchestrate the environment. The principalities and powers. They can orchestrate the environment. The situation. Circumstances in the world. And work with our remaining atomics. Uh, nature, that is our sin nature, which has not been taken away. He's planted that seed. It's like a magnet in us. You know, he can just show that magnet and he can, he can draw us because that Adamic nature is still slave to that. And he can create the world sphere, what we call it, the world, is his, his, his web he has woven. And he can orchestrate all those circumstance situations to accomplish his end purposes. And he often does. We just have to look around the world. Everything we see is under his dominion. In this earth at least. What we call as a secular world is under his dominion. Now about the weapons that the enemy uses against us. Now although this passage is not exp explicitly mentioned them, you know, we can infer what they are from the type of armor we are commanded to put on. So, in this passage, it doesn't clearly, uh, explicitly state what other weapons Satan uses. But we can infer, based on the armor the Word of God has asked us to put on, what are the types of weapon? What are, the, what are his tactics to, uh, that he uses to fight against us? So, what I want to do next is to look at each piece of the armor 
that's mentioned here and the corresponding weapons aimed at us. So let's turn to the first one. In verse 14, verse 14 it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. Oh, if 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 the uh, well before I get into the the armor, but just the expression of that word, the loins, and most of you must be familiar. This is in that time the the clothes uh, even the army personnel would wear, and, and even in the Roman army would be a, a, like a long garment, and which would be relaxed. But here it says loin your garment. So when you're prepared to do something, a task, you you take a a gird or something and just tighten up that loin so that it doesn't fall off. So it's, you're like ready for that. That's, that's the expression. And if we were to uh, translate that in contemporary language, something m- most of us would understand, is in, a, you know, um, in, a, in the football game, um, that's an American football game, you, you, know, you put on the helmet, you put on the, you know, all the uh, stuff, uh, um, garb, right? And, and you have to tighten up that, that, that buckle. I mean, just because you have that on doesn't mean it's going to stay on. You have to buckle it up. When you're, maybe in the practice session, probably you have it loose or something like that. But when you're in the real game, you don't go with a loose helmet and a, a loose, uh, all the pads, everything. It'll just come off, right? You have to buckle it up in order for that to stay fastened. And I think that's the same, uh, the picture that's drawn here. And, uh, and it says here, gird yourself with truth. That is, be prepared. Tighten your garments with truth. And if truth is the, is, is the armor here mentioned, or the piece of armor, we would infer that the weapon would be lies, right? Satan would use against us lies. And that is one of his primary uh, choice weapons. And he's a master, as we, as we considered earlier, the father of lies, a master deceiver. And he spins a web of lies on almost every aspect of life, almost every truth. You just have to look out the secular world. Truths concerning the nature of God. But truth concerning the, 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 the deity and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth concerning his word, whether it's infallible, true. Truth concerning salvation. Truth concerning creation, right? Just have to look out what they teach in schools. Truth concerning marriage. Just have to look out. They passed the a law. They're going to pass, a, almost going to pass a law to alter the fundamental understanding of marriage. And everybody believes it. Because he's a massive deceiver. He can... Orchestrate circumstance situation. Truth concerning family relations. He can he propagates lie after lie after lie after almost every truth you can imagine. Satan spins a web of lie, orchestrating circumstance situation. And he, he has the entire realm of the world under his control. So you would think when you go to the university and hear about evolution or the lie concerning uh, God's creation, 
You would think, oh, these smart professors are like, you know, they studied all this. But no, I mean, that is partly from a human point of view. But spiritually speaking, no. This is a master orchestrated plan by Satan and the principalities and powers. And it seems so true. If you were to go to university and say, God created the universe and all in it, they'll laugh at you because it seems so untrue from their point of view. Because the truth has been made into a lie. And likewise, almost every, you can, I don't want to go into the details, but you can see that is his primary choice of weapon, lies. And we see in the Garden of Eden also, right? Sometimes it's not all outright lies. Half-truths, distorted truths, emphasis on this or that. And he deceives him. And I, I, for lack of time, I won't go into this, but I wanted to consider for each of these uh, situations, um, a, a, a situation from the scripture where we, there was a failure, a person who failed, and a person who bat, won the battle. And um, I, I had the passage, but we don't have time. But I just want to quickly mention if you consider the failure in the situation, consider Adam failed in that test. When Satan deceived him with the truth, he fell into that. And if you consider a person who's, who would battle victoriously and win in the circumstances, the Lord Jesus Christ, three times Satan tried to distort truth in the most subtle ways, even quoting scripture, even quoting scripture. But he did not, but he was confronting truth itself, the personification of truth. And there was no way he would win against the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, that is the weapon of, one of the weapons Satan uses, lies. So, gird yourself, you have to be, meaning, what the, this expression, uh, phrase says, is, you have to be prepared in your mind ahead of time before you face it. You have to know your doctrine. You don't have to know where you stand before. You don't understand, you don't decide at the time of the battlefield, you have to understand beforehand what is the understanding concerning God, what is the understanding concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, His deity, His words, salvation, all of these fundamental truths and others. Looking into the scripture to understand, decide for yourself what is the truth. And this is the only source for us, the word of God. <laughs> the next one we see here is verse 14, it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't want to spend too much time on this, but righteousness here, specifically the word, the kaisune uh, means right action. Right action. So here it says, put on that. Put it on. Make decisions ahead of time that you will choose right action when you're confronted with the enemy's uh, weapon. And if the right, righteousness is, the, is, the arm, uh, is the piece of armor we are asked to put on, what do you think is the weapon? Temptations towards unrighteousness, right? Temptations towards unrighteousness. And I just want to quickly, uh, again, I don't want to read the passage, but if you can look it up. Uh, two cases. An instance where somebody failed and instance where somebody succeeded. Uh, in Judges chapter 14, I can read it for you. So 1 to 3 and uh, 16, we hear the case, uh, we hear the story of Samson, who had a good beginning, 
had a, the purposes laid out for him, but he was not armed with the breastplate of righteousness. He was open. And when you leave those choices open, Satan will always find a way inside. That's why you have to make decisions ahead of time. What are you going to do when you are confronted with that situation? And we have an example of a success or a one who won, and that is uh, uh, Joseph. In Genesis chapter 39, you can read for yourself, 6 to 10. Joseph was confronted with the situation where his righteousness was tested by Potiphar's wife. What a situation, right? I don't want to go into the details, but Joseph had made his mind ahead of time. He had put on the breastplate of righteousness that in this circumstance he would not fall, even if it would have provided him advantages. Therefore, he was able to prevail against the enemy. The breastplate of righteousness. Believers, Satan is going, going to test our integrity. And at times when you're weak, and he knows if you have not made up your mind ahead of time what you are going to do in such and such circumstance, he will get you. Or he will try. So that's why we have to make up our mind. Put it on ahead of time. The breastplate of righteousness. So when he aims his weapon of the temptation towards unrighteousness, we can withstand for the glory of God. The next up, uh, consider it says uh, um, having um, armor of God that may be able to, sorry, I'm getting there. And verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now you don't consider this necessarily as an armor, like a feet uh, shod. Uh, it, 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 it's not, but the, the idea I got here is that if you are not moving forward, you're a sitting duck. In the, especially if you, in, in the context of a battlefield, right? If you are not moving forward, you are a sitting duck for the enemy. And that's what it's, God's words clearly says. You have to, and it isn't an option. It's not an option. The gospel, taking forth the gospel of peace is not an option. It's a commandment. And it's a commandment. And when we disobey that, we make ourselves vulnerable to enemy's attack. There's no option to sit around in, in this battlefield. And when we keep moving forward, we reduce our chance being, of being uh, thwarted by enemy. And I just have two quick examples. Like uh, One of the things is Jonah. Um, Jonah was given explicit commandment to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel of peace to those people. He went to Tarshish and he faced the consequence. Of course, God chose to uh, bring him back, um, redeem him, but you see the consequence of that he went through. And of course, uh, there's probably many other examples of success. But uh, if you look at the life of Paul, one thing you notice, God's word in a way is very clear. Whenever we read even the mighty men of God, Abraham, Moses, all of them, you know, failure so many times. I mean, of course, success in many areas. But you see here and there defeats and even great men of God. But if you look at the life of Paul, I mean, I'm not saying he'd never sinned, but it's, it's interesting that um, you, do not, you do not explicitly uh, see um, a, a failure. I'm not saying that he had not failed, but the God, God's word has not 
openly revealed it. And I would say, because he was constantly on the move for the word of God. Um, and, keep it, and that keeps the enemy on the defense. Um, so, just a thought there. And uh, we're almost time up, but I just want to quickly take up one, uh, few, few more. Um, the next verse, it says, verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield of faith. And if, if, if the, the armor pieces, uh, of, uh, faith, shield of faith, what do you think might be the, the weapon Satan would use here? Fear. Anxiety. Doubt. Doubt on God's ability uh, to um, fulfill his promises. Fear. Anxiety. And uh, I just want to, I know that uh, we're short of time, but I just want to read a passage uh, quickly uh, that shows the, uh, in the same passage you see, uh, a success, uh, a failure, and a success. Uh, if we could turn to Numbers chapter 13, quickly, Numbers chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse uh, 27 onwards, uh, Numbers chapter 13. And the context here is um, Moses has sent out the spies into the, the promised land to spy out the land. Um, and he sent uh, several spies and also Joshua and Caleb along with, that, uh, along with them. Numbers chapter 13, verse uh, 27 onwards. And they told them... Uh, okay, so they saw these spies come back and give a report to Moses. And, says, and they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless... The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and possess it. I love that spirit. Faith there. And we see anxiety and fear on the other side. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. And look at this. Lack of faith is not a small issue. When you lack faith, when you do not trust the promise of God, there's a, there's a consequence of that. It says, And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Enoch, which come out of the giants. And we are, we in our own sight are grasshoppers, and so we are in their sight. And says, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1 says, And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore had the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be, should be prey. 
were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to other, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And, and verse 10 it says, and, uh, sorry, um, but uh, verse 6, and, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them, they searched the land and rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through and to search it is, a, is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with them, fear them not. And hear the response of those people. But all the congregation bade stone, bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And verse 11 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it err before they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown, showed, them, showed amongst them. Verse 36 of the same chapter. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made the congregation a murmur against them, but bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring upon the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to the search of the land, lived still. So we have in this one single passage an example of trusting in the God, in, in, in God who made a promise. God made a promise. They, they trusted. Joshua and Caleb trusted. But there were people who looked at the circumstances looked at the giants that they were confronting. And they feared, filled with anxiety and doubt. And you think, oh, you have pity upon these people. Oh, this, they've confronted these giants. What do you expect? But you know what? God did not spare them. Because when you, even after repeated promises of God, God showing His greatness and power, and He asks you to trust in Him, move forward, and still you're afraid. God is not pleased with that. And it is a sin against God because it is showing that you did not trust Him. But Satan will use this very weapon. He will confront us with circumstance situations to cause in us fear and anxiety. He'll allow our circumstances to surround us in such a way that we will give up and give in. But you know what? God is not pleased with us if we give up. We conf when we confront our circumstances, we have to look up to, up to Him, the one who made the promise, and stand up to the enemy. I don't have time. I had a few more things, but I want to close. I don't want to take too much time, but some other time we can consider. But uh, there's also um, um, shield, of, uh, shield of Faith and then the Helmet of Salvation. Uh, just one word about Helmet of Salvation. You know, Helmet is one... Even if after you defeat, even if in the battlefield you are in a situation where you, you are inflicted wounds, you are 
almost defeated by the enemy. But there's one, as long as your helmet is on your head, as long as the helmet is on your head, you, can, you, you still can stand up. And that is why this verse says, the helmet of salvation. There's always, even, even if we in, in this battle, and all, it is often case, I mean, oftentimes we do fail. But there's always one place we can go back to, to regenerate them, and that is our salvation, the eternal security in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can always, and one example of a person in the scripture who went back and um, established him is uh, David. David fell in the face of uh, the temptation. He fell so miserable. He uh, murdered his faithful, uh, or allowed his faithful uh, servant to be murdered. Committed adultery with Bathsheba. I mean, one of the worst sins he can imagine. But then we hear David repenting before, the, before God. Uh, putting on the helmet of salvation. Knowing that he can go back, return back to, back to the Lord. And, uh, you know, uh, come back up. And we see David's life as a, when we write, write the end of David, like God says, a man who is after my own heart, in spite of his failures, uh, because he, he understood whom he trusted. He had put on his helmet of salvation. He knew, even with that, after all that defeat, uh, he could come back. Um, so I just want to leave that thought with you. And, uh, and as the scripture asks us to, admonishes us to stand up, it says, uh, finally, brother, it says, be strong in the Lord. Verse 13, verse 10, be strong in the why? Why be strong? Because the Word of God knows, Spirit of the Holy Spirit knows that when we are often confronted with a situation, there is tendency for us to be weak, to follow it, to give up. And God is not pleased with that. So it says, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might, trusting in His might, because you know he's, your enemy is And the, verse 13, it's, uh, and the, verse 14 also, stand therefore, Stand there for God is looking for people who would stand for him to glorify his name in the face of this heat of the battle. Stand to the glory of God so that the principalities and powers, the angelic forces will know that God is still our God to the glory of God.